You're listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. Fresh Hell contains stories of a disturbing and often graphic nature and is intended for a mature audience. Please don't let your kids listen to this, or they might turn out like us. Hello and welcome to your hopefully favorite international true crime and mystery podcast. I'm Johanna from Austria. And I'm Annie from the United States, and we are so glad that you found time this week to listen to another episode of Fresh L. Johanna, is there anything that we need to address before we get into today's story? Yes, I would like to address the listeners on the one platform that is often treated with a bit of neglect from me, and that's our YouTube Hellions. I know, the episodes are posted there a bit more off schedule. I hope you forgive me. We use YouTube just as an extra channel for listeners to be able to find us, but we really do appreciate all your comments and messages. I usually post the episodes whenever I remember to transform them to MP4, but um, then we often post two at a time to make up for the time you had to go without. Just in case you guys on YouTube ever wondered, we do post a new episode every Wednesday on our webpage freshhellpodcast.com and on all podcast apps. Yeah, shout out to all of the YouTube listeners. I'm sorry I can't draw. You can't draw? Yeah, I wish I could do like little illustrations for our oh, yeah, discussions, yeah. but it would literally <laughs> just be like, I could make stick figures like, and this one has an axe. <laughs> that could be fun, actually. I mean, get your kids to illustrate our podcast, okay? And send it to us. Thanks. <laughs> so what's this week? What do we have? Should we get right into it? Yeah. So this week, I don't even know where to start. We talked about a lot of horrible and heartbreaking cases over the time. We also had our fair share of funny and uplifting stories. But this week, I want to tell you about a gut-wrenching and absolutely heartbreaking case. And I have to warn you in advance, this story is about the tragic death of a child. And also, it involves animal cruelty. And you know, we don't usually mention animal cruelty, as it is a big trigger for both of us. Mm. But in this case, unfortunately, have to mention it. But I will keep it as vague as possible. Well... You know, we never want to hear a mosquito not making it through, but please do tell me everything. Okay, let's do this. So today I want to tell you of the disappearance and death of Ursula Hermann. And as always, we will link to all of our sources in our Facebook group and our webpage. But let me tell you my absolute best source for this case right away. It's the six-part German podcast Ursula by Katja Peisen-Petersen. It was released one year ago by the BR, the Bayerischer Rundfunk. And if you can understand German, I highly recommend it for an in-depth understanding of the case. And it has very interesting interviews as well. Oh, nice. It sounds a good, a danke. <laughs> yeah, that's half my German right there. So I won't be able to listen to it, but I'm sure some of our listeners will. And since I can't understand it and I don't know anything at all about this case, please, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing it. It was the 15th of September 1981. That was a Tuesday and the first school day after the two-month summer break. Ursula Hermann, who was born on 24th of November 1970, she was a 10-year-old girl who lived with her family in the Bavarian town Eching at a lake called Ammersee. And according to the census of Eching, it had 749 people living there in 1970 and 1,293 people in 1988. So let's assume that in 1981 there must have been roughly 1,000 people living in Eching. Mm, small town. It's a small town, yeah. yeah. Also remember, small Bavarian town, Catholic, very, very much like Austria. Mm. 
Ursula's father is a teacher for theology and handicrafts and her mother is a stay-at-home mom. But Ursula is not an only child. She has three siblings. Ursula is the youngest one and the oldest child is 18. And I'm sure they had a relationship like my sister and I did when she was young. You know, you love your younger siblings, but sometimes they can be so annoying. Oh, I think that's something that every older sibling understands, no matter how much they love their <laughs> siblings. Yeah. So that day, Tuesday, 15th of September, Ursula had been to school. And usually the first day back after summer vacation is over rather quickly, you go to mass. I'm sure they did as well as Bavaria, as I said, is Catholic, just like Austria. And then you have like an hour or so in your classroom getting your schedule for the first days uh, and such. And then you go home. At least those were the first school days for me as a child. And I'm sure it must have been similar for Ursula. Uh, how is it in, in the United States? It depends. So about the same, yeah, except for no mass, unless when mm -hmm. when I was at Catholic school, we went to mass, but I only did two years of Catholic school and in, in public school. Yeah, I think the first day back is just sort of like figuring out where your classroom is and where your if you change classes where you, where else you're going and where your cubby or your locker is. So yeah, similar. In the afternoon, she practices piano with her oldest brother and then she takes her red bike and she rides over to the neighboring town named Schondorf to meet with her cousin. The two girls attend a gym class together and around 6.30 p.m. when class is over, she does not go home as she was supposed to, but she rides her bike over to her cousin's house to visit her aunt and uncle and they have dinner together. Her parents then call around 7.15 p.m. and tell her to come home now before it gets too dark. So Ursula says goodbye to her relatives and heads home. And how far away is she from home? Of course, I checked, as always, and she took the way that leads her past the lake, and that would have been roughly four kilometers, so that's 2.4 miles. Or let's say that would be maximum four kilometers, because I don't know exactly where the two houses were, but that's the, the furthest distance would have been four kilometers, let's say it like this. Sure. That would take her how long on her bike? 15 minutes maximum, I guess. Also, usually there are always some people on that street, uh, you know, riding their bikes or taking a stroll or walking their dogs or things like this. It's a, it's a street next to a lake. It's nice. Yeah. And riding a couple of miles on your bike at that age, at that time, like to get home before dark was totally the norm. Totally normal. Yeah. Completely normal. Yeah. Yes. So shortly after 8 p.m., the parents start to get increasingly worried and they start to search for Ursula. So I think that's pretty amazing that they reacted immediately because that's just like if she left at 7.15 p.m. and at 8 they got worried, it's 45 minutes that passed. So they are really, it's, it's good. The yeah. parents really did well there, I think. Yeah, I would I would expect, you know, my dad would probably like trace the route thinking that maybe the chain came off my bicycle or I got a flat yeah. tire or I fell in skinned a knee and was, you know, limping home crying or something. You know, the yeah. many, many things that happened to all of us as kids riding bikes, right? And I guess Ursula usually came home ASAP, so therefore her parents immediately felt that something was not right, you mm -hmm. know? So it's only 8.35 p.m. and the mom reports her daughter missing. And now the police and the fire brigade is searching for the young girl. They search the area surrounding the street. And at 11.14 p.m. a search dog alarms his handler. And leaning on a tree, the dog has found Ursula's red bike. And her gym bag is still on the bike. Oh, no, I don't like that. Mm -mm. 
Mm. So they keep searching, but no sign of Ursula can be found. And I guess that must have been the moment when the family starts to really think that something must have happened to her, right? I just can't even imagine this to me. I just think it has to be the absolute worst feeling, right? So everyone who has had a loved one be missing, mm. even for a day, it's so hard. And I would just imagine when it's your child, that has to be, it just has to be the worst. Did they find her quickly? No. Over the next weeks, the police and volunteers keep searching the wooded area called Weingarten at least a dozen times. Weingarten is actually the German word for vineyard, so at first I thought that's what it looked like, a vineyard, but it is actually a wooded area and it's next to the to the lake, to the Ammersee, between Eching and Schondorf. And looking at Google Maps, I'd say the area is roughly one kilometer, so 0.6 miles wide and two kilometers, so 1.2 miles long. Okay. It's not a huge area, but it's also, it stands, it has trees, it's it's a wooded area. Sure. It's, there's enough mm-hmm. spots where you have to search, yeah. Lots of undergrowth. Yeah. And- so again, they use search dogs as well as helicopters, divers, um, and how can I call them? You know, the long, thin metal rods that they use to poke the ground to... You know, see if they can find anything that might have been covered up. Yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you mean, but I also don't know if there's an exact word for them. It's not a cane or a wall. It's like a ski pole with no round thing at the end. (laughs) Yeah, but I, I think we all know what you mean. So. Okay. In the beginning, the family hopes that Ursula had just been abducted. And you know what Mm. I mean by saying just, you know, with an abduction or kidnapping, there's the chance of seeing your child again. Yeah. And they do indeed find something. So first they find binoculars very close to the bike. And the second thing they find might be of some importance, but the investigators don't realize that at first. They find a so-called bell wire. So, you know, a wire that connects a bell and a bell button. Okay. So you can ring the bell button and then the bell rings. Yeah. The wire is hung in the trees in two meters height, so that's 6.6 feet, and it runs parallel to the Lake Street for 140 meters, that's 153 yards, and it's leading into the woods. So, that's weird, right? Yeah, I don't... I don't like that at all. That's a creepy height. It's a creepy yeah. length of... It's... No, I don't like that. Okay. It's, it's just overall creepy. Yeah, it's bad vibes. But the investigators hear that kids tend to play in the area. And so that's what they think. This is child's play and they pay no attention to the wire and they leave it up there. And a little while later, the wire is gone and it had been found by some students of a nearby boarding school and they took it back to the dorm and kept it in a box. And it will actually take one and a half years until the bell wire will reappear. Okay, this... All right. So this sounded very ominous to me until you said that students then took it. So originally I was going to say, as you were talking, I'm thinking, what kind of kids are going to rig something like that high off the ground? But then if other kids ended up with it, I guess that's, you know, at least a plausible excuse. I still don't like it. Also, I'm sorry if you can hear in the in the distance, there's construction nearby and it's... It's a little bit beepy over here, so apologies. But yeah, I don't know. I still I still don't like that bell. It makes... Mm, nope. So back to the days of Ursula's disappearance. She went missing on 15th of September 1981, and on 17th of September, the family starts to receive phone calls. So the phone rings, they pick up the phone and hear, at first, nothing. And then the jingle of the Bavarian radio station Bayern 3, so Bayern 3, plays before and after traffic news can be heard. And this is a recording of one of these calls and you can hear the jingle. I don't like it. It's weird. 
What does it mean? Nobody says anything? I don't like it. Yeah, so no, not one word is spoken. The jingle is very well known in Bavaria. It's from the so-called town hymn of Munich. It's called So lang der alte Peter, which translates to As long as old Peter. And in this case, the old Peter is not an old man. It's the Peterskirche, the St. Peter's Church in Munich. Fun fact, the melody is based on a Viennese folk song called So lang der alte Steffel. So in the original version, the Viennese cathedral in the heart of the city is what the song is about. The Bavarian version, or rather these few notes of the Bavarian version, has been used by the Bayern 3 station, the radio station, since 1971 for their traffic news. Okay. It's weird when people use everyday things and make them creepy. Yeah. In total, the family will receive 10 or 11 phone calls, depending on the sources, from 17th of September to 18th of September. Wait, overnight they get 10 or 11 phone calls? Yeah, in these two days, yeah. Oh, this poor family. And then, three days after Ursula went missing, the family receives a letter in the mail. And the address on the envelope is written with a typewriter, and the letter inside, the ransom note, could not be any more cliché. It's really what you would imagine a ransom letter to look like if you watch, you know, a cheesy, foreseeable thriller. Oh, so like bodyguard style, with all cut-out words and letters and symbols yeah, and spot on yeah. exactly that yeah so the words and letters are cut out from the german newspaper bild it's the german newspaper with the widest circulation in germany and for quite some time it was even the newspaper with the widest circulation in europe oh wow okay so most german households at that time would have had one it's not some sort of obscure paper like they found at hinterkaifeck no not obscure at all okay uh, I'm sure that in 1981, most houses would have one issue at home. Doesn't make it a very valuable glue, though, right? Well, yeah, no. I couldn't find a photo of the first letter, but in the Ursula podcast, it is read out. So the letter reads, and I'm translating to the best of my abilities, but I'm sure you get the gist of it. Quote, we abducted your daughter. If you ever want to see your daughter alive again, pay 2 million German mark ransom. We will call you Thursday. We will use a whistle sound. Just tell us you pay or you won't pay. If you pay, six hours after your daughter will be set free, end quote. Uh, I have to add here that there are some grammatical and spelling errors in the letter that I can't express in a translation. But for example, the six hour, they really said it like this. They didn't say six hours. Oh, okay. But it definitely gives the impression that the errors were done on purpose, you know. Yes, yeah. Almost as if they want to make it sound as if it was written by a foreigner. Right, so like the Lindbergh ransom note, right? So either not mm -hmm. a native German speaker or somebody wanting you to think that they weren't a native German speaker. Yeah, maybe how you would imagine the Italian mafia to sound. But now that I'm thinking, maybe it was also that because they cut out whole words that they couldn't find the proper word, so they used what, what was closest to it, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So, like, they were just lazy. Instead yeah. of, like, lazy instead of finding an S, because, like, if you used to make yeah. mixtapes back in the day, and those would all be collages <laughs> of words cut out of fucking magazine, serial killer style, right? And so you'd have to, like, find the one S that didn't look completely like a ransom note to add <laughs> plural to things. So they were lazy, too. I mean, but then again, how difficult would it be to find an S? So I, not I'd very. say it was done on purpose and not yeah. out of laziness. No, no, I think you're right. So it's a cliche letter with cliche errors. And they also ask for a getaway car, which is a ye yellow Fiat 600, which... I'll post photos of the model. It would not be my choice of a getaway car. It's a very compact Italian car, but don't think sporty. Uh, think more <laughs> Mr. Bean style. 
Oh, no. And especially it's like you're surrounded by German engineering. <laughs> and it's like, you know what I want? A fucking Fiat. <laughs> yeah. Who are these people? <laughs> All right. Sorry. No offense, Fiat. You're adorable. And I also think it was determined that the letter was late. It was supposed to arrive way earlier. So probably that's why the kidnappers kept calling, making the whistle sound, so the jingle, and they waited for an answer. But of course, the family couldn't give an answer because they hadn't received the letter yet and therefore didn't know the question. Okay. Yeah, this is a fucking nightmare. So... You said first letter. Were there more? Yeah, okay. So the family receives the first letter asking for 2 million German marks. So that would be 1.13 million US dollars. And I couldn't get a reliable calculator to check out, you know, inflation. But let's safely assume that due to inflation, this would be more closely to 1.5 million US dollars nowadays. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Remember yeah. that Wiesler's family was a normal middle class family, you know, a teacher and a housewife. Yeah, right. It's not, they're not the Vanderbilts. They're not, you know. Yeah, exactly. They're not, they're not uh, the Lindberg. Exactly. Family. Yeah. Yeah. The family didn't have that kind of savings, but they had a lot of people who wanted to help and they did, in fact, raise the sum, which is amazing. Yeah. So then they're waiting for the next call. And when it comes, Ursula's mom is, you know, swearing to the silence caller that they want to pay. They just need to know where and how. And she also, I think she also asked for a sign that her daughter is still alive. And then they just hang up the phone. And then the second letter arrives on 21st of September. And in it, the kidnapper or kidnappers explain how the money should be handed over. And photos of the second letter exist online. And the second letter says that they want the money to be used 100 uh, Deutsche Mark bills only. Uh, so not, you know, crisp, fresh ones out of the printing machine. Sure. Once more, they mentioned a yellow Fiat 600. That's so oddly specific. A yellow car? Yellow. The first car I remember my mom having when we were kids was a yellow Volkswagen Rabbit. But it's not very, you know, subtle. No, it's conspicuous as hell. You'd want here you'd want like a silver Honda Civic. Yeah. Right? It's like, oh no, every other car or whatever. Yeah. But you wouldn't pick this is strange, yeah. That reminds me of the hostage drama of Gladbach. Uh, yes, I was just thinking about the same thing. At least they knew what kind of getaway car is, you know, appropriate. Yeah, yeah, they did. These people do not see it. So they are told to place the money in a suitcase and to wait by the phone and the kidnappers will call and tell them exactly where to drive and they will watch the family and if they involve the police in this in any way, they will never see Ursula alive again. And if they do as told, the kidnappers will release Ursula six hours after they receive the money. Okay, so the family waits for the phone call with the suitcase full of money, but they will not be contacted again. No more phone calls, no more letters... No instructions for the ransom money. Nothing. Oh, God, this family has been through hell. This is devastating. Now, all of this is already upsetting enough, but uh, now comes the real devastating part of this case. It's Sunday, the 4th of October, 1981. Ursula is now missing for over 20 days, and around 8.30 a.m., the police starts another search of the Weingarten area. It, it was supposed to be the last scheduled search for the missing 10-year-old girl. Ursula's family is about to attend Sunday Mass. It's 9.43 a.m. A police officer comes across a small patch of moss that looks lighter than the surrounding area. And he pokes the earth and realizes that the ground feels somewhat softer. 
and he calls for his colleague who takes a look. He removes a layer of soil and he discovers that what felt soft was a piece of fabric. And when he lifts it, he finds a wooden lid. At first the police thinks this is a poacher's hiding spot for ammunition or something like that. And then they open the lid and find another wooden lid. And this one is bolted with seven latches. No, no, no. And when they open this lid, they look down into a box that is roughly measured 140 times 72 times 60 centimeters. So that translates to a height of uh, 5.4 feet and a base of 2.4 times 2 feet. And at the bottom of this box, in a sitting position on a built-in bench, they find the body of Ursula Hermann. And the position of her head indicates that she was looking up to the lid. Maybe in hope that someone would come and get her out of there. In this box, the police also find water and soda bottles, chocolate, some cookies and a couple of magazines or like romance novels. You know, these kind of magazines, cowboy stories and the like. Yeah... Mm. Also a bucket, uh, as well as a transistor radio. Which makes me think, judging from the photo and from what the police stated, the hole that was dug for the box was roughly 2 meters deep, so 6.6 feet. Now subtract the height of the box and the second lid, and I think that leaves only a rather thin layer of soil over the lid. Maybe, I don't know, 5 inches, 7 inches. How Were the kidnappers not worried about anybody hearing her scream or hearing the radio? I don't think that sound would be completely muffled, or what do you think? It's hard to know how much screaming she was doing and how how close was this area to... I don't know. Was this so people were searching this area right at first? I mean, if yeah, but if you're a kidnapper, you want to make sure, right? Yeah. Like, this all seems so... Like, it's half completely thought through, and the other half is just lazy, like... It's bizarre. It's a really strange combination. It's bizarre. Yeah. It's so bizarre, yeah. yeah. It's a it's kind of a weird dichotomy. It doesn't fit. Like you feel like exactly, it would be Exactly, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I agree. So Ursula hadn't touched any of the food nor did she drink anything and the coroner is called and he determines that the girl had suffocated probably only five hours Mm. after her abduction. The girl was not harmed or hurt in any other way, meaning that the kidnappers apparently were really just after the money. Also, I think she was, um, it looks like when they took her from the bike, she might have been drugged and she was unconscious. Okay. So she probably woke up in in the box, not knowing what happened, right? Was there a light or a flashlight in the box? Not that I know of. There must have been a flashlight or something, because otherwise, why leave the magazines? Right. But it's very possible. So this then goes back to why did no one hear her screaming? It's also very, very possible. And and what I'm going to choose to believe is that they had drugged her, set her down in the box, and her head just naturally was tilted up, and that she just never regained consciousness. And... That's also just possible. Went yeah, that's from true. sleep to to gone. But that would explain yeah. why nobody ever heard her yelling. I mean, it's not that I say why did nobody hear her yelling. My thing is why weren't the kidnappers worried that somebody yeah. would ever hear her yelling? They were. They they wanted to keep her down there for a couple of days. So yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. Maybe they said, you know, we're watching you, and if we hear anything, then we'll hurt you or we'll hurt your family. You know. Yeah. Oh, it's so sad. So I really do wonder. When they did send the instructions for the family, did they then realize that the girl was dead? Uh, had they realized that way before or not at all? Did they go back there, open the box, find her body and then they decided to just leave her there and never contacted the family again? It's, it's yeah. also, it's so reminding of the Lindbergh baby 
It really does. This whole time I keep thinking about that story. There's so many similarities. Oh, God, that poor baby girl. That's awful. So this box also had some kind of pipe or pipes coming out, as far as I understand, with a ventilator to provide air to the little girl. Mm. I remember when I was a kid or like a young teenager and I first heard about this horrible death, I always thought that the pipe must have gotten blocked somehow by accident and therefore the girl had to die. But now as I read up on it, it looks as if the kidnapper did make an error when he constructed or when they constructed the box and the pipe or pipes. They were too long so that there was no proper airflow apparently. Oh, wow. I would have thought just a pipe leading out would have done the job. The only little comfort I can give all of you listening now is that according to doctors, suffocating this way is not a painful struggle, but more like falling asleep. And as Annie said, maybe she yeah. never regained consciousness at all. Yeah. yeah, I hope, you know, either that or that she thought the door would be open any minute and she'd just rest a little while and, you know, went to sleep and didn't wake up. But it's... It's so sad. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think they didn't realize that she was dead. And then when they found out, they just bailed, which is... Thank God they mm. found that box. Can you imagine just never finding... Yeah. What is this reminding me of? Lovely Bones? Oh, right. Yeah, Lovely Bones. There she was hidden in this little under underground yeah. room he made. Yeah. I never yeah, watched yeah, yeah. the... I never watched that film because I started crying like the first chapter of the book and yeah. then just cried right straight through to the end. Yeah, I read both the book and saw the movie because I love Stanley Tucci and Oh, I do too. I love him. But I couldn't I couldn't watch the film. I was just but for some reason, this suddenly reminded me of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's true, yeah. So the police is trying to preserve the crime scene, but the media is already there with the permission of the police press department and they photograph everything and there are too many people there stumping around on that tiny spot. No, Great, yeah. they should have known better by the 80s. Yeah. Also, they only find one fingerprint on the box or rather on a tape around one of the pipes. That's it. One fingerprint. Nothing else. Wow. And did they have an archive for fingerprints readily available in Germany back then? I guess they would have. Yeah, of course. And they checked, but they didn't come up with a match. Okay. But the police releases a couple of facts, for example, the make of the transistor radio and other facts about the box. And they start to talk to everybody who thinks... They know something. And in total, they will follow up on roughly 1,800 leads in the first year alone. Wow. Well, that's impressive. Did they have any luck? No, not really. I mean, there were suspects. So let's talk suspects. Yeah. So naturally, everybody living in the area was a suspect. I think people living in the town or nearby had to have their prints taken. I can imagine everybody found everybody suspicious. Everybody for sure had a theory on who did it. And that's a really small town, too. So mm -hmm. it's bad enough with rumor and speculation in a major city when a notable murder happens. But in a town this size, I can imagine it's all anybody was talking about. Yeah, everybody knows everybody, yeah. 
So on 8th of October, four days after Ursula was found, the police receives a tip. They should check a man named Werner Mazurek. The 31-year-old who is living in Echingen as well is in a lot of debt, but keeps talking about sailing around the world. He lives very close by to Ursula's home and he is divorced but has a new girlfriend and two kids. He owns a workshop where he is renovating an old fishing boat, so that would be a place where he could have easily built a box. Um, he here had already been the suspect in theft and fraud investigations, so he's he's not a stranger to the police. Yeah. The police takes him in for interrogation and they also get a search warrant. Of course, they ask Matsurek for his whereabouts on the day of the abduction almost four weeks earlier. Um, he can't remember where he was, but he promises the investigators that he will check what he had done that day. So the police sends him home and he returns the next day to tell them about his alibi. So... He claims that he had been at his workshop first. Then around 6 p.m. he went to a friend's house to help with some car repair. Then around 7 p.m. another friend joined them and later on they played Risk. His friends confirm. Okay. The police also checks the fingerprints of Mazurek, his girlfriend and the kids, but again, no match. Okay, so he's cleared? Well, not that fast. Okay. There are some things that don't sit right with the police. For example, Werner Mazurek stated that he didn't really know the girl or the family, even though he lived close by. But when the police interrogates Mazurek's first wife, she tells them that while she was still married to him, she had been working as a cleaning lady for the Hermann family. And I mean, you'd think that he would at least know them a little bit. Like, they wouldn't be total strangers to him, you know what I mean? I do, maybe. I know when my family has had a cleaner in the past, um, we've usually had one if we're selling the house and, you know, when my dad had cancer and, you know, occasionally in life, I really need one right now desperately. Actually, I can't bend over anymore. But um, in our case, they've always sort of become like, another family member. We've gotten to know them really well. But I know that also we might be, you know, one of five houses they clean that day and they might work six, seven days a week. And so I'm going to guess that not all of the customers that they have would be necessarily that remarkable. Maybe it's only the ones that are really nice or the ones that are really awful. So maybe if you're just like a average, maybe, I don't know. It's a red flag, but but not like a big waving one. It's like a very yeah. small cocktail drinks to sized red flag. <laughs> but I'm guessing there was there was probably more. Yeah, there was. Well, here it comes now. Yeah. So the first wife then tells them the story of their pet. Mm. This is the part that involves animal cruelty. And I'm really sorry. I really don't want to talk about it. But I think it's important to show the character of the suspect, right? Yeah, or utter lack thereof. Yeah, so they had a pet. A mosquito. Yeah, okay. Let's let's stick with our pet <laughs> mosquito. It was a I, it was a mosquito. Yeah. Like we did in the Wakefield episode. Exactly. So the kids were still very young, the wife was working long hours, and the pet mosquito was not getting trained. Mm. And the pet mosquito did what young untrained pet mosquitoes do. It made a lot of mess and a lot of other nonsense, yeah? Mm-hmm. So one day, Mazurek came home. He had been out and had been drinking a couple of beers. I think it was Oktoberfest, uh, because Eching is close by to Munich. Okay. He comes home and the pet mosquito once more had made some mess. I think it emptied the trash can or something like that. Sure. So Mazurek took the mosquito, went down to the basement with it and locked it in the freezer. And the pet mosquito died. 
Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, I would never trust someone who is intentionally cruel to animals because I think who is cruel against animals is most likely very capable of being cruel against people as well. Yeah, I agree. There definitely should be a registry for people who hurt animals. And his little cocktail drink size red flag is now like a Formula One red flag waving. It's a whole parade of flags at that moment. That's right. It's a marching band led by flag marshals and they're all waving red flags. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't like this at all. So this makes him a horrible person and I say, fuck this guy. But it doesn't automatically prove that he was the kidnapper of Ursula. We have, to, we have to be fair here. True. Yep, that's absolutely true. Nevertheless, four months after Ursula had disappeared, Mazurek is arrested. His two alibi-giving friends are brought in for interrogations and several houses connected to Mazurek are being searched. The investigators think that his alibi was arranged with his friends after his first interrogation. No. Really? A married father of two didn't spend the night playing Risk with his buddies? Shocker. (laughs) Shocking. I know. I mean... I I mean, I get it. It's totally possible that you absolutely don't remember what you did any given day one month ago and you legitimately had to ask your friends, hey, any idea what I did that day? (laughs) I know. It reminds me of the serial podcast and just how hard it was before Palm Pilots and cell phones were common. How would you remember what you did a month ago? And, you know, would you... Do innocent people save, you know, desk calendars for 30 years? I don't know. It all seems strange to me. But now we're in quarantine. <laughs> I mean, you really want to remember the nights you drank beer. So Exactly. Who doesn't want to remember those precious memories? And I hadn't thought of this, but there are a lot of people whose alibis in 2020 were, I was just home alone. I was home alone for like four no, months. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> it was just, I was just home alone. People came and left me food and groceries, but they nope, they never saw me. They just left him on the front porch, rang the bell and left. This is such a horrible case. It's awful. You can always tell how bad it is by how much we joke. The worse it is. <laughs> you joke. <laughs> me. I know. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, but it's also possible, right, that he was like, hey, care to help me out a little bit there? I'm friend. sure. Yeah, mm. I'm sure. Okay, but now that the friends are brought in for interrogations, one friend says, well, you know what, I'm not really sure anymore what we did that day. Uh, and the other one is now like, hmm, I know I said seven, but actually it was six when I last saw him. So did they play Risk? Apparently not, because now all of a sudden Matsurik is without an alibi from little after 6 p.m. until 8 p.m. So, Okay. And did they find anything in the houses? Well, they did find some material used for carpenting, but nothing matches the materials used for the box. And they do find music tapes. Little history lessons for our 20-something hellions. (laughs) You know, we used to have uh, cassette tapes to record songs from the radio because we obviously had no internet, so no YouTube, no Spotify. If we liked a song and we didn't have money for the single, let alone the album, we would sit patiently next to the radio our two fingers ready to press play and record at the same time to record <laughs> a song you wanted and you prayed that they would let play to the end and not interrupt the last seconds through talking or the next song yes or talk over it at the beginning of the song just getting a yeah. clean version and making a mixtape used to just be the way to express your commitment to a person 
Not necessarily romantic, like it could be a friend, family member, significant other, but you really had to think about it and you had to put some time and effort into it. And also I would make the, the like collages with scotch tape and magazines, kidnapper style <laughs> on the back with random stuff having to do with the theme of the mix. True story. Mm, yeah. That's what we did. So, okay, they found a tape and on it was a recording of the Bayern 3 radio station, including oh. the traffic news and the jingle. Uh, they compared the sound of this recording to the one used during the phone calls and it didn't match. What? Yeah, the tone was slightly different, I think. Uh, so they have to let Matsorek and his friends go. Okay, so he was not the kidnapper. Well, they did keep investigating him and one day a man named Klaus Pfaffinger shows up at the police station. Actually, let me rephrase that. He didn't just show up there, he was asked there by the police because this man was a petty criminal and well known to the police already. And he had been seen driving around the Weingarten area with his moped, transporting a shovel. Oh. Is there a chance that he had been somehow involved in the case? During the first interview, he appears to be very nervous. His hands are shaking. Why? Because the man was having withdrawal symptoms. He mm. was an alcoholic. Okay. He is interrogated more than 10 times, and sometimes he was even drunk during the interrogations. Why was he seen driving around with a shovel? His answer was because his mother-in-law needed it for her gardening, and he brought it to her. So the police ask, okay, but then why were you seen several times, not just once? And he then states that he was in the Weingarten to dig a hole for Werner Mazurek during the weeks before the girl's kidnapping. He states that Mazurek offered him 1,000 Deutsche Mark and a color TV. So he drove to the Weingarten several times early mornings and late evenings to dig for Mazurek. Oh man, okay. So Mazurek was the kidnapper then? Not necessarily. Okay. Yeah, I know it's a back and forth. The yeah. police doesn't think that Pfaffinger is reliable. They think he just wants to feed them the wrong information to get off. Pfaffinger. All right. So, but why would he explicitly say that it was Mazurik who had done it? Was it in the papers or like did... Well, they all live in the same rural area. The arrest yeah. of Mazurik had been in the newspaper and, you know, the photos of Mazurik and his friends had been blacked out. But everybody knew Everybody knew that he was a suspect. Yeah, that same photo's on the wall of the pub. Everyone's like, we know that photo. It's possible that Pfaffinger knew that too. He just tried yeah. to give the police what he thought they wanted to hear, maybe. Yeah, no, that's very possible. And there's those people who want to feel like they're part of the investigation. Mm-hmm, true, know. yeah. Even if they had nothing nefarious to do with it, just, yeah. you know... So the interrogators take Pfaffinger to the Weingarten and ask him to show them where he did dig the hole and guess what? He doesn't find the right spot. To be fair, it's February now and probably the area looks a bit different. There's probably snow. But you know, you'd think that if he did drive there several times, he should be able to at least find the general area, you know? Yeah. He then retracts his statement and he says that it was all a lie. <sighs> Later, he states that he once loaned a shovel to Mazurek, but retracts this statement as well later on. And so on, and so on, you know, story after story. Nightmare for the police. Mm-hmm, yeah. So years pass, and it's now 1984, and the investigations against Mazurek have been stopped. Now they focus on another suspect, a former police officer who had been shot on duty and had to retire early. And now, at 35, he owns an antique store where he renovates old furniture. And he knows the Weingarten area well because he was a hunter there. 
Okay. But, I mean, none of that would make him suspicious. Was there more to it? Well, he's suspicious for two reasons. First of all, his car was seen in the area several times, even on the day Ursula disappeared. Okay. And the second reason, one time investigators had been in the area and they had hunters there to guide them. And one of them was a retired police officer and he was shaking heavily and he was sweating and, you know, it was he was clearly nervous. Okay, but... Which still, yeah. I mean, they are reaching there, right? Yeah. But they keep investigating him. He is in debt. He has no alibi. They keep investigating him, this man and his whole surroundings, so his family, his friends, his customers, until 1989. He loses his shop. I'm sure he lost most of his friends. I'm also sure it's safe to say that his whole life was pretty much ruined, and six years later, he dies. Oh, no. That's really awful if he was innocent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They collect all the clues and evidence. You know, they have a lot. They, they keep, obviously, the box, the red bike, the bell wire, who had reappeared because the boys, the students who took them, I think one and a half years later, they reported it to the headmaster or something like that. And that's how it reappeared. Uh, like realize there could be a connection. Yeah, 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 exactly. Also, a mask was found in a hollow tree in 1982. Wait, what? A mask? Well, it's more a plastic bag with two slits for, for the eyes. That's not better. That's that's no. worse than mask. Oh, no. Okay. And it looks as if the mask had been hidden in the tree since the fall of 1981. So it's <sighs> indeed possible that it's connected to the case. Years pass and no culprit can be found and time is running out. You see, the crime was not categorized as murder. It was a kidnapping resulting in death. And the statute of limitation is 30 years for that. Oh, see, that drives me up a wall because it's like the Gay Gibson case, right? So she died because she was kidnapped. It should be manslaughter at best and no statute of limitations on that. I don't like statute of limitations for any, you know, serious form of assault yeah. or kidnapping, especially when it leads to a death. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So then in 2007, DNA that was found in another case matched DNA from the kidnapping. So that was in the murder of the millionaire Charlotte Böhringer. On a glass in a dishwasher, DNA was found that matched DNA found on one of the screws from the box. But it looks as if it was actually just a cross-contamination, which unfortunately, as we know, sometimes happens in labs. Yeah, especially back then. Mm. I mean, that was 2007. Yeah, but even then, we know a lot more yeah, about it how happens, to... Yeah. yeah, it does. I think in the... What's the name? The um, Making a Murderer? Yep. Uh, Steve, Steve, what's Stephen his Avery? name? Stephen yeah, Avery. Stephen Avery. They also yep. uh, think that it was cross-contamination, you remember? Yep, absolutely. Mm. And so on 30th of May 2008, almost 27 years after the kidnapping, an arrest is made. But it's not a new suspect. It is Werner Mazurek. Oh, okay. So the police had never given up on him as one of their main suspects. They had taken DNA samples. They had once more searched his house, his new house, because he had moved away from Eching since then. And they had taped his phone calls for a while. Okay, so they must have found something if they had him arrested. There must have been new evidence. There was, yeah. Okay. So they found an old tape recorder that seemed to match with the specific sound of the tape used during the phone calls in September of 1981. At least that's what a specialist working for the Bavarian Criminal Department thinks. Oh, okay, really? 
Yeah, so apparently it's similar to typewriters or, you know, printers, for example, have that. A tape recorder can show very specific sounds. Uh, you could call it an acoustic fingerprint. Okay, I could see that. The trial that will last 55 days starts on 19th of February 2009. Werner Mazurek is charged with extortion and kidnapping with lethal consequences. His back then girlfriend, now wife, is charged as an accomplice. Uh, Klaus Pfaffinger, who was now deemed a reliable witness and accomplice to the crime, had died in the meantime. Mazurek denies to have anything to do with the crime. In his opening statement, he says he is sure that he will be acquitted as there is no real evidence. It's all circumstantial, but there is actually a plethora of circumstantial evidence. At what point do things stop to be a coincidence and start to form, you know, logical proof of guilt? Oh, sure. I mean, at some point, it's just overwhelming. So what are we looking at evidence-wise? Okay, so there's the audio recorder. Um, there's the fact that he had stated he had never read the Bildzeitung, you know, the newspaper that they used to cut out the words for the letters. Mm -hmm. In fact, he often did have it at home, according to his wife. That's a weird thing to lie about. Exactly. I yeah. mean, it's a newspaper that almost every German household had at home at one point. Why would yeah, you lie I think about that? That's a big red flag because why? That's mm. such a simple thing. You know, it'd be like if I said, oh, I, you know, yeah, I've got the Boston Globe, you know, especially at yeah. that time, you know, like everybody had it. So what? You exactly. Know? Yeah. 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 Uh, he knew the area. He was in debt uh, and he'd stated to a friend that there should be a way of making two millions. Oh. Uh, he was quite crafty. He knew about audio equipment. I think he had worked as a repairman for audio and video equipment. He was accused by Pfaffinger. He had no alibi, the pet mosquito incidents. Mm -hmm. He had denied ever owning binoculars, but witnesses reported that he had owned a pair prior to the crime. And then there are some weird phone conversations that the police had taped. Um, he talked, for example, about was talking to a friend about what he thinks, how the sentencing would be in that case, uh, how long the prison sentence could possibly be. Plus, he kept calling the death of Ursula a work accident. Wait, what? How How is it a work accident? I don't know if I translated it right. He used the German word Betriebsunfall. Like, okay, if I, if I work on a machine mm -hmm. and then something with the machine goes wrong, something happens that was not supposed to happen, you know? Sure. Yeah. But... I don't know how that compares remotely to being kidnapped and being buried alive in a box. Because apparently he says that whoever kidnapped her clearly had no intention of the girl to die because there was the air ventilation system, but it failed to work properly. Oh, I see. So like professional kidnappers who had a fuck up on the job. That's what he's yeah. equating it to. Yep. Ew. Okay. Yeah. Apparently, they had several pages full of circumstantial evidence. Yeah, there's a lot there. Mm. So, after 55 days, the verdict is in and it's guilty. And he gets a life sentence. His wife, on the other hand, is acquitted of all charges. But is Werner Mazurek indeed the kidnapper of Ursula Hermann? Maybe. But also, maybe not. There are many who doubt it, and one of those is actually quite interesting because it's uh, it's Ursula's oldest brother. Oh. He and 
other audio experts doubt the specialist report of the audio tape, he and many others also don't think that Pfaffinger was a reliable witness and that he actually had no insider knowledge at all, that he only used what he had read in the newspaper and that Pfaffinger had tried to spin a fitting story around it. People think that the investigation was running out of time due to the 30-year statute of limitation and they had to find a culprit. I mean, that's another reason to hate statutes of limitations. If Ursula's brother, he doesn't believe that Mazurik was the kidnapper, which, I mean, who does he think it would be the retired police officer who had also passed away, or were there other theories? I mean, there were other suspects, but there is one theory that was mentioned by Ursula's brother in the Ursula podcast, and many others think, I don't know if it's many, but other people think it's possible. Okay. I'm not saying I think it's possible. I'm not saying I think it's not possible. I'm just telling you what Ursula's brother thinks. Sure. Or at least he thought that last year when the podcast was made. So Okay, yeah, here yeah. it goes. So in Schondorf at the Ammersee, so that's the town where Ursula went to gym class and where her cousin lived, yeah? Okay. There is a boarding school. It's a very prestigious boarding school, mostly for kids of wealthy and very influential people. Uh, I, I think you start going there. I don't know if they have elementary school, but at least it's from 10 to 18. It could be from 6 to 18. I checked their webpage, but I'm sorry, I can't remember. It's okay. So, according to some, the way the whole kidnapping took place, it was also cliche. You know, child play, as I mentioned before, the ransom letter with the cut-out words, the off-grammar and spelling, the weird getaway car, the bell wire that was probably used as a warning system. I mean, it's really a little bit what kids or teenagers would come up with, right? It's very Goonies. The magazines. Yeah, it's very Goonies, Goonie right? Traps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The magazines that were in the box with Ursula, uh, mm -hmm. so that she had something to read, the cookies, the chocolate. The way to high ransom demand from a middle-class family. Sure, yeah, because they would assume everyone had that kind of money. Yeah, right, exactly. So what if some wealthy kids with important parents got bored, wanted, you know to have a little adventure or something, and they wanted to try and kidnap a kid just to see if they could? And then it went wrong and Ursula died. And it was covered up by influential people, maybe. Mm -hmm. Not saying that's what happened, but it's a theory that is out there. Wow. Yeah, so, like, that reminds me of, like, Leopold and Loeb, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about that, too, yeah. That's awful. So, and then do they think that's the same group of kids that then collected the bell and wire? No, I don't think so. Okay, all Because right. why would they report it then that they have found that? Yeah. I think they just saw it hanging there and thought, hey, cool. Yeah. I don't know how many yards of wire, 140 meters lot. or something like that. It was, yeah, a, it was lot. a lot. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, Matsurek, of course, is still in prison. Okay. And, yeah. The Ursula's brother is still trying to find out what really happened, I think. That's interesting. I wonder if mm. this is a case where there'll be either more of a break in the DNA, as DNA mm. is better, or if there's a... I feel like we're always hoping for a deathbed confession. I know. You know, but you then do. the couple I've tried to chase down have been disappointing a little bit. <laughs> it's... yeah. What do you think happened? I, I'm really... I'm not sure. I'm... That's a case where I don't have a real opinion of what happened. The, the only thing is, I know this case haunted me since I heard about it when I was like 10 or 11, because it was so, she was not supposed to die. It's not like they, he or they took her and wanted yeah. her to die. It was like, no, that's right. 
an not accident. that other deaths are necessary, you know what I mean? But it's just like... No, I do know what you mean, because they didn't... It seems like they... From all the evidence, it seems like whoever did this to her really just wanted some money, and they didn't actually want her harmed in any way. Yeah, and exactly. And so it's... So sad. It's really it's It's, it's, it's really sad, sad. Yeah. yeah. It's awful. It's awful. So, yeah. Should I start with something good? Yes, please. So, it's been... It's been a year... Um, <laughs> it's been tough, but my dad and my sister came up for a visit and originally my sister and I, and one of my old roommates from college, Dara, um, she was going to come down from Maine and we were supposed to be going to see Alanis Morissette, the concert with Garbage and Liz Fair, and then also Shit's Creek Live. And like one was on the 9th and one was on the 10th, but of course both have been postponed. So my sister decided to come up anyway, and my dad came up with her, which was awesome because my dad hadn't been here in almost a year. Um, Mom just hadn't been well enough to come come this way. Um, so it was just really nice. We hung out, we relaxed. I actually was able to take a couple of naps, which was oh amazing. And I wanted to recommend the movie uh, on Netflix, Lovebirds, which was great. Like, really enjoyable banter. <laughs> it was it was really good. We all enjoyed it a lot. So, yeah. How about you? Uh, my something good, my only something good that happened this week was when I came home was it yesterday or the, no yesterday yesterday and uh there was a huge box waiting for me <laughs> from Boston and it wasn't just and all broken glass and soggy no, cardboard it was amazing <laughs> it came at the right time because i had a, a rough day like every day is nowadays a rough day yeah. for a month now i loved it uh you were so thoughtful and my mom was laughing because i kept unwrapping things and unwrapping and she said well how much is in there what's going on it's well it started as a christmas present to be fair it's kind of ridiculous it was amazing it started and as then a christmas i ate a whole present. pack of twizzlers oh good <laughs> Good. They were only little pack. Yeah, but still. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I oh, was you're really, welcome. It was lovely. You're I can't welcome. wait to to put your the the newest ornaments to my other Christmas tree ornaments. And those ornaments were so hard to find, <laughs> and I felt like a crazy person because I'd go in to these <laughs> ornament shops and I was like, "Do you have anything with an an axe?" <laughs> <laughs> It always and I'm also me. so honored to now have one of your red Swarovski ornaments. Oh, the little Swarovskis. I love doing those ornaments. They It's so therapeutic to just sit there with a tube of E6000 and dozens of Swarovski crystals and a little wax-tipped toothpick. And just, it's very calming. I love rhinestones. <laughs> I do. Love it. So, great. All right. Thanks so much for listening. That was incredibly sad. I'd never heard that story before. So thank you so much. I uh, I really enjoyed it. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a, a rating, if you could, on Apple. That would be uh, tremendously helpful. It's how other podcasts find us. doesn't have to be a long one. You can just say hi. That'd be super. 
Yes, that would be amazing. Also, come join our Facebook group. If you search for Fresh Hell Murder, it will pop right up. It's an amazing group. And you can find all the links to us, how you contact us, where you find us on Instagram, Twitter, our merch store, on our webpage, freshhellpodcast.com. And also, please tell all your pets and your friends. We said hi. Tell everybody. We love all of them. And if your friends could be interested in listening to us, Tell them, tell yeah, them definitely. I to think check that us out. We're attracting a really nice group of weirdos in the Facebook group. So come say hi. So yeah, that's it for this week. We'll see you next week. And until then, if you are going through hell, keep going. Tschüss. Bye.